Welcome to the penultimate episode of Season 1 of the Nothing New Under the Sun podcast. I'm joined as usual by Gareth Tyndall, where today we will be talking about prayer, meditation and mindfulness. Hello Gareth, welcome to Episode 5. Hello Dane, good to be here with you again. Now, I think when we started this, this podcast, one of the original reasons was to shine a spotlight on the self-help industry and see how much of this kind of modern movement in you know, bookstores and online is full of advice for, for self-help, um, but just see how much of the, the modern practice or the, the modern ideas actually reflect or echo what we see in the Bible um, and how humans should uh, exist, the nature of, of humans and the best way we can, can make it through life in a, in a meaningful way, I suppose. Um, meditation and mindfulness seems to be key in these practices. Um, it's spruiked a lot. Morning routines, mental health, uh, can help with concentration and focus, uh, improve your productivity. Productivity. It's touted as a bit of a Mr. Fix-It for a variety of ways to be a better person. Now, I'm probably a little bit agnostic when it comes to meditation. Um, I don't really know a great deal about it. I've dabbled a little bit with some breathing techniques and so forth um, from a mental health point of view. Uh, I've got a feeling, though, that you might have some stronger feelings on the matter. Oh, well, I don't have, have stronger feelings, but uh, I think I've got... Um, uh, there's a lot to admire, I think, about our society's kind of newfound interest in meditation and its benefits, especially when there there is just a real um, awareness of the fact that there's a connection between our physical nature and our mental nature or our psychology, but also our spirituality, that those things are, are interconnected and, and inseparable. And so I, I'm, I, I like that because I think that is a bit of, that's a reaction against kind of where our society had been heading for quite a long time in that we've become this, we've, we've kind of reduced human existence down to rational observance and empiricism. And if I can't perceive it through experimentation and uh, logical testing, then it's not valid, um, and that kind of just has always uh, worried me a little bit because we are, as we've said so many times, we're enfleshed beings, so we can't separate our understanding and our awareness apart from our bodies, and so to be able to be engaged in some kind of practice that kind of sees the interconnected nature and the dynamic of that, that's a positive thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably, in our modern society... We do try and focus on mental health as much as physical health, and that and that it's probably been um, you know a movement of the last ten or fifteen years where we've started to recognise that it's not just about physical health. Yeah. Um, and this is where a lot of the meditation and the mindfulness practices kind of crept in, I suppose, to, to modern thinking. Yes. Um, now, from a Christian perspective, what's the difference really between say prayer and meditation? Because in in many ways they they seem similar. Yeah, I think, yeah, if, if you were to, say, observe someone involved in personal prayer, private prayer, and someone involved in meditation, they may not look that different. They're probably sitting still, they're probably quiet, may have their eyes closed, um, they're probably uh, alone. Uh, and so, you know, just observing the phenomena, there could be pretty similar practices. Um, the difference is, uh, well, one of the differences, there are numerous, but 
One that's really important is that uh, meditation often has a kind of inward focus. So it's geared towards harnessing control um, of uh, things like, you know, initially things like your breathing, but also noticing just uh, emotions that are running through your body and developing coping strategies that are, you know, physical coping strategies that uh, therefore, you know, in, uh, affect the way your mind works to kind of manage stress or anxiety or a lack of um, uh, perception and awareness or direction. So it can be very, it's it's introspective, I guess. Now, now prayer can be that too, because when we pray, we often will pray about the concerns that are on our heart. Um, but ideally, uh, prayer is not just an isolated individual internal experience. It's the key dynamic in which we relate to God. So it's about maintaining a relationship with someone else, not just about developing an awareness of yourself. So that's probably our initial difference. Yeah. <clears throat> and in that respect, and, and without you know casting any aspersions on people who, who do meditate regularly and are involved in mindfulness, it's it's about the self, whereas prayer in its true form or in its completed form is about working out ways that you can work out how God wants you to serve others. Yeah. Is, is that yeah. A, a good differentiation? That is a good differentiation. And, and I think I, I also want to yeah add to your caveat that I think we want to applaud the, the focus that meditation and those kind of practices can bring because there is something... Because we're human beings, because we're limited by our flesh, our capacity to be able to give our full concentration and full devotion and attention to God is limited by the fact that we're humans and we are distracted by impulses. That's one of the things that Paul will speak about, about what the sinful nature is like. It is you know, reacting to every impulse and desire. And so being able to go through some kind of process that can help you focus is really good, you know, in the same way that... Um, one of the things that I do in my personal prayer is that uh, I will, of course, have time in my prayer to pray about things that are on my heart or things that are that are um, you know pressing needs that I'm thinking about. But I also do have um, some set prayers, some that, some that come from Scripture, or I, I definitely have uh, a set kind of routine of people, concerns, or issues that I pray for regularly because of my sinfulness and my selfishness. I can, if I don't have those kinds of things in place, prayer just becomes a bit about me. You know, what do I need? What do I want? What do I? What can I get from God? Uh, and so you do need, I think, those those checks and balances in place. And if a meditating kind of practice or a practice where you at least uh, are gearing your mind and your body to to be inclined in prayer, that's a really good thing, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then the more people that are, yeah do that, the better, I suppose. Um, mm. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that the decline in people going to church and, and church attendances in the West and particularly somewhere like Australia are on the decline and have been for probably 30 or so years, if not more? Mm-hmm. Is there a, a correlation there with the rise of self-help books, including meditation and mindfulness? So, you know, are, they, are people just looking for a way to, to get that inner kind of yeah. peace and clear their mind and and speak to something, you know, within within them rather than all the externalities. I, I think there's certainly some truth in um, the the slow rate at which uh, 
churches in general, I'm being very general here because some are doing it very well and some are doing it very poorly, uh, have had an awareness of where the cultural tide is at. Uh, and rightly or wrongly, there can be a time where people, churches will say, well, we're, we're sticking in our ways because to our mind they are timeless. Uh, if they're informed by the gospel, then they're timeless and expand across all cultures, so therefore they're always relevant. Now, the, there's a grain of truth in that. The gospel is eternal truth. The gospel is eternally relevant. Now, the gospel speaks into, to, you know, it is for every tribe and nation and tongue and culture. Um, however, uh, in the New Testament itself, you see Paul the Apostle uh, constantly accommodating and adapting in the way that he talks about Jesus so that his audience has a resonance with it um, and has an understanding of um, particularly how the gospel speaks into their felt needs, if you use that, like to use that language. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that we've always done that a good job of that. Uh, and I think that also, too, in, in our Western world, we've seen very quickly a rapid kind of variegation of the market. You know, we've seen Eastern um, religions and numerous secular philosophies flood the markets, marketplace of ideas in the last 200 years uh, at a rate that's been very rapid and not really seen since that classical period, I think, uh, in the West. Uh, and so that has meant that people can feel lost and as generations go on and we kind of lose our moorings from whatever religious system or worldview system our forebears had had, you do end up in a sense of, well, I don't really know what's going on. And so if uh, if church doesn't offer that that um, awareness of your where you're at spiritually or where you're at in yourself, then, yeah, you'll look to alternatives. Um, you know, I, I read an interesting quote out of a survey from... Um, Recrindle Research the other day, they did a thing on the state of faith and belief in Australia, and one participant from the Gen Y category uh, spoke about worldview uh, in these languages, this ter these terms, she said, uh, I swap day to day, week to week, year to year, sometimes it might be work related or personal, you know, when something isn't going right, and I want to go towards a positive path, and then they add, I think a lot of other people my age do the same, I mean, that's just mind-blowing that you could just day to day, week to week, just flip your worldview over. Uh, but that just shows again, that, uh, I think, how lost people are with understanding how to have a coherent worldview. And so if there is a new like self-help book or a new mindfulness practice that looks like it gets results, I want that. Yeah. yeah. I think that that quote there from, uh, from that survey participant probably shows a lack of integrity in, in people's lives. And, and I don't mean that in terms of, you know, they, they're not good people, mm -hmm. but integrity is having an integrated life. So, and if you're always swapping your thoughts, and it must make it really difficult to, to live with any kind of any kind of purpose, I imagine, if you can just flip and, and switch from day to day, week to week, year to year, work yeah. to play. Um, so there's no rod running through everything that they do. No, and I think that that's, you know, again, if we're going to diagnose things from a biblical perspective... I think that has a lot to do with uh, with what Paul will say in, in Romans 1, where he talks about um, when we're given over to the sinful nature, uh, that what it actually does to our minds is that it corrupts them and makes them worthless. Uh, and they, you know, use depravity is, the, is kind of the language that's used there. And speaking specifically about that 
inability to seek and pursue and do the good. Uh, and so um, people in the end find that they can't fathom uh, a coherent worldview or faith system or real spiritual understanding apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so eventually they just shut themselves off at it all together. And, ho- and I think you know, our society's done a very good job of making it look like you can live a fairly comfortable life without ever, ever having to ask any really difficult existential questions of yourself. Um, and that's worrying, I think. Yeah. And just going back to the point you made before about um, how the early early church and, and Paul would change the message, I suppose, to, to suit the, the audience or suit the times... That's probably probably been one of the strengths of Christianity through the ages. When it's when missionaries have, have gone out, they've always been able to make it relatable and and seem important mainly. But it, it's it's been relatable to the cultures that they've been able to, it's to preach a, to. It's been a two edged sword, hasn't it? I mean, you think about in the way that Christianity eventually gripped the Roman Empire was because of its distinctively different ethic of love which uh, eventually showed up the Roman Empire uh, in a very, you know, very roundabout way of summing up how it happened. And so, but, so that, that uh, wonderful ability of the early Christians to show that integrity that you spoke of, of a coherent system of faith that saw the need to care for those who were um, suffering great injustices under the Roman Empire, eventually wins the endearment of the empire, and that eventually is the beginning of the end of, that distinctive love of Christianity. Uh, and so while it did uh, accommodate itself to many different cultures over the following, you know, uh, 15, 16, 1700 years, um, the, that distinctive clarity of the message when it got corrupted with that sense of power um, has meant, I think, that in many instances you've seen uh, Christianity come in coupled with an administrative kind of force. Uh, and that has left, you know, there is so much research done that actually has left an indelible good on those communities, that those communities in parts of the subcontinent and Asia and Africa that have had a long-standing Christian witness, the um, rates of infant mortality are less, education is higher and those kinds of things um, because they adapted to the culture. Um, but the, the long-standing presence of faithful gospel ministries hasn't always been there, uh, and that's a, that's an interesting interesting phenomenon to think about how um, they can leave so much good social capital uh, and yet leave people without that distinct ethic of love your neighbour as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. So that's a different podcast episode. Yeah, that that could be yeah. something to explore later on. Yeah. Now, let's look at something, um, maybe a, a bit of a combination of prayer and meditation. Uh, there's churches around the country who you might hold um, yoga classes and things like that mm-hmm. in their um, community groups. And for some people, they see that as off-limits, and others kind of say, again, it, it's a way, it's a gateway to, to prayer, I suppose. Yeah. You know, if, if you've got Christians who are interested in the, the physical movement of yoga, mm. um and not necessarily be all the Eastern traditions that, that go with it. Um, how do you feel about that? Is that is that a good thing? Again, is it a good but? Yeah, well, I think it comes down to, like, I think what you've tapped on, tapped on earlier is really important, that integrity of mind. Um, you know, uh, there are many things, like, as I said, that there's practices to do with 
yoga, physical exercises, if if that's going to be something that is um, a wise practice in terms of it's will seem culturally kind of relevant or culturally engaging, but you can uh, redeem it with the truth of the gospel, then I think that's a good thing. Um, I think if we're going to say, though, that, oh, we should all... Med- meditation and yoga has become uh, just part of the cultural uh, milieu, so we should all just get on board and do it. You know, I can think of many church contexts where that would just be... People would just turn their nose up, but that would actually be a hindrance to prayer. Not, not you know, not even anything to do with the fact that it um, often is associated with different religions. I think just the, just the custom itself... Some people will find that uh, to be off-putting and a, a distraction to their prayer life. Other people will find that very, very useful. Um, and I think that if it actually results in people having a closer understanding and a, and a more um, fruitful and faithful prayer life, then that's a good thing. You know, in the same way that um, I mentioned before that you know I have, I'll use some set prayers. Like I, I use an app on my phone called uh, Prayer Mate, where you can make these weekly lists, you can subscribe to other prayer feeds, they're called, and get prayer points and pray them. And I know that some people find that um, kind of very, it locks them in, and they find that that's not how they pray, that they they, they are quite happy and quite um, regular and, and determined and diligent in praying without those kinds of um, aids, I guess. And so, you know, they're those things, are, they're, they're kind of what we call a diaphora. They're kind of things that aren't really that important. They're not, not essential arguments. You can't say, well, if you're not using your prayer mate app, then you're not really praying properly, um, yeah. or vice versa. So I think in that regard, I want to say that if if it is something that actually that, that does genuinely, honestly draw you closer to an understanding of Jesus and his work in your life through the Spirit in your prayer life, then I think that's a good thing, yeah. ultimately. Well, I know I, one of the prayers that I say daily, hmm. I do it, First, um, first when I get into the shower, mm-hmm. under cold water, just because I want the link between my physical body and what's happening in my mind to to stay okay. connected. Yeah, cool. And, and, I, and I understand then that it's it's something that I, I'm feeling physically as well as feeling in my in my brain as I mm. you know recite this this prayer. So I can kind of see the the point. Yeah, if people want to do poses and and whatnot as part of their prayer because it kind of joins the flesh and the, and the spirit together, I suppose. Yeah, and, and it encourages a discipline, you know. That, like, you know, I don't do, do it in the in the shower, but um, I, I do have the same spot where I'll sit uh, most mornings to pray um, and read my Bible. And I'll do it at the same time every kind of day. Um, in the same way that, you know, as I said, because prayer, your prayer is a reflection of your relationship with God, um, you know, if you had a dad who you only ever spoke to him when you wanted to borrow the car keys and you wanted 50 bucks, um, then that's not much of a relationship. But, you know, you foster a relationship with your parents or whoever, whatever the, the paradigm is uh, through that regular devotion and, and enjoyment of wanting to be there with them. And sometimes, you know, people take discipline. You know, relationships take discipline to, to work out. They take... All, all the time. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, it's a sometimes <laughs> thing. If, if there's no discipline in it and hard work, and then it's probably not a relationship that's, that's you're right. getting a lot out of or you're giving a lot into. So That's right. That's right. So I think, you know, um, you know more power to you if you can pray in under a cold shower. But um, I, I like the idea of uh, a regular and focused and, you know, determined pattern of, of prayer because I think that's what 
we're called to. You know, Jesus, when he talks to his disciples about, teaches them how to pray, um, and he gives them what's become now known as the Lord's Prayer, there is a, a daily, regular meter to that prayer. Give us our daily bread. Uh, you know, your kingdom come is something that we are continually asking for. It's not just, a, oh, we do this prayer every now and again. It's that regular relationship. All right, well... I'm almost going to break out into Cats in the Cradle then when you're talking about father relationships and borrowing the car keys, Gareth, but we might take a break there for a second and uh, we won't have that song later on, but we might have a musical number we can listen to in the second part of the podcast. Okay, welcome back to the second part of the podcast, episode five. Um, I want to start now, Gareth, with, I think it's one of these anonymous poems you see floating around the internet and I've seen it on fridges in various houses. Um which I think gets to the heart of prayer a little bit. Um, so I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me? I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on grey and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. <laughs> I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. So I like that. It's probably something that you showed little kids. Um, as I said, I don't think there's a, an actual author's name to it. Um, now, I want to turn our attention now, we've spoke about the, the differences and the similarities between, say, med meditation and mindfulness and prayer. Um, I'm sure your point of view is that there is no substitute for prayer. You can do all the mindfulness and we, we want people possibly to, to have that connection in itself. But at the end of the day, prayer is where it's at. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that little poem. There's a Martin Luther quote. Uh, he said that I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours of the day in prayer. Uh, and so he he prioritised prayer. Um, it's a little bit like that, you know, if you're going to chop down a tree, spend half your time sharpening your axe. Yeah. Kind of little Yeah, that's proverb. right. He was, what it, what it demonstrated is, you know, that um, all the tasks at hand in his day and all the things that he had to do only came by the grace of God uh, and only came by... Um, him being more attuned to God's will and how he wanted, um, how God wanted Martin Luther or all of us uh, to live, and so that devotion in prayer um, is, you know, it's essential. Uh, and so while, you know, the growth mindset stuff, I really, I really am generally positive about, um, because at its best, it's encouraging us uh, to give, you know, to give consistent effort in all tasks, to avoid that jealous competition that, that the growth mindset versus fixed mindset kind of um, likes to speak about. The deficiency with it is that at its worst, uh, it makes the individual uh, the determinant of what they'll achieve without giving them any reference to a broader ethical grid other than just try harder. You know, sheer willpower will make your mind um, grow and be able to adapt to change. And it also denies the will of God because it makes the individual mind the seat of the will and not the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Paul in his letter to the Ephesians will talk about how 
before people have the Holy Spirit that they are futile in their thinking. Uh, in Ephesians 4, they're, they're darkened in their understanding. Uh, but then he'll also talk about um, how when you come to learn who Jesus Christ is, uh, that you are being made new in the attitude of your mind. Your mind actually chose, changes. You know, Romans 12 goes even further. Uh, and Paul says, you know, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you're able to discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. And so there's a, it looks like a tension there. You know, don't work really hard to make sure you don't get, don't get conformed to everyone else thinks and acts and then work really hard to have a transformed mind. But the result of the transformed mind is that you actually understand the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. And what's the good, pleasing, perfect will of God? But your mind will be transformed. And so when we actually devote ourselves in prayer to say, God, I, sometimes there are things we don't know the answer that what we want to pray for. You know, God, I don't know what the answer is here. I pray that you might just give me an understanding of your will in this situation. And if we're driven to a deeper understanding of God's word and a deeper awareness of other people by loving them as ourselves, viewing them rightly, then we're more likely to be able to read our relationship situations, our work situations better and live out God's will. And so prayer is essential to letting the Holy Spirit do its work in your mind, not you, uh, you know, adapting and changing and enhancing your mindset um, as the kind of mindfulness stuff does. Yeah. It, so it, it comes down to, to the to purpose, your purpose in life, and you know I think you know again going back to the growth mindset, and um, you know, it's one of the things that we, we talk about as teachers. You know we want our, our students to be you know, comparing themselves to who they are rather than mm-hmm. to someone else. Um, but at the same time, a student or, or child, and anyone who's got boys might understand this. Okay, Fortnite. I'm going to get better at Fortnite. I'm not going to compare myself to other people. I'm going to dedicate my life to Fortnite. Mm-hmm. And they might spend a lot of hours and time and, and get really good at it. Probably not the best use of their time and their best use of purpose. They, you know, they've displayed a growth mindset. Definitely. They've worked hard at their faults, yep. benefited from their strengths, yep. but it's really been in service of a, a nothing goal. Mm. So prayer allows us to find a real goal, and that's God's will. That's right. You know, And in, you take the Fortnite example further, if you... If you saying, well, you know, I'm going to stop looking at other people's high scores and just look at my own deficiencies and work on my own deficiencies, it sounds very noble. You know, like I'm doing self-diagnosis and I'm actually refining myself. Um, and that's where I think, you know, uh, mindfulness is vital for us to be aware of the fact that our, you know, our minds do have are deeply connected to our actions and our bodies. Um, but that's only good if that mind that we have is being renewed by the Holy Spirit so that, um, as Paul says in Philippians 3, that we will actually know Jesus Christ better. You know, we'll know the power of his resurrection. We'll be able to participate in his sufferings as he would, becoming like Jesus in his death. And then as Paul says, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, as in living out that life of a raised child of God, um, that's something you can't get just from mindfulness practices it comes from by the grace of god working in your life as he's already removed you from sin and death into the life of uh, his grace uh, so too does he shape you to live according to that grace and that's something that we are in a dynamic partnership with it's not something we can just muster within ourselves as some of those meditation kind of things aim to do i guess yeah and that comes back to our point from before about you know a, a selfish versus selfless 
mm. um, practice. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I want to move on now to say some of the the criticisms that you hear from people about prayer, and you know, I think one of the one of the ones people often come to is the story of Abraham and, and Isaac mm-hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, and you know, without any context, they'll say. Well, I can't possibly be a Christian because any religion that says that you should go kill your son just because you had a vision um, from God mm-hmm. uh, is something I'm not going to follow. Um, and for, uh, I'm sure many people know that that story. Um, we'll add a little musical number here, as promised. There's a, there's a song by Leonard Cohen uh, called The Story of Isaac, and um, we might just play that first verse of that song now. Slowly, my father, he came in. I was nine years old. And he stood so tall above me. Blue eyes, they were shining. And his voice was very cold. Said, I've had a vision. And you know I'm strong and holy. I must do what I've been told. Started up the mountain, I was running, he was walking, and his axe was made of gold. So, um, yeah, so that's from one of his earlier albums. Um, I like one of my favorite songs, and I really like it. But, Gareth, there's more to that story than just having some crazy vision of God and, okay, let's go kill your nine-year-old son. That's right, that's right. There is more to that. Um, and, you know, I think it's important that we read that story, as you said, in the broader context of what is happening in the stage of uh, God's people and their history of being saved by Him, uh, and also to read those stories not being as programmatic for how we um, are to live. Um, but, you know, as gruesome and as, uh, as kind of shocking and confronting as that story is, there is just so much of the gospel in that story too. Um, you know, here is uh, a father who is willing to sacrifice his son and the son uh, faithfully and quietly and willingly goes along. Um, that sounds a lot to me like the gospel. You know, here is a father who is willing to do anything uh, for us to get us back, even to put his own son to death, and the son uh, submits to the will of the father. Of course, in that uh, story, God in his great mercy um, understands that Abraham truly does have the faith uh, in God's promises, promises that God has already made and that Abraham has kind of tried to shortcut and get around and just has generally doubted uh, for so much time, but now realises now Abraham himself has come to realise they should take God at his word. I mean, he's seen the miraculous provision of this son when he's 100 years old. Yeah. And, um, and that's probably a testament to his faith as well. Correct. He waited till 100 till he was finally able to have a, a child with his wife mm. um, and then to go, okay, well, I've got faith that God's doing the right thing. Yeah. I'm going to go off and fulfil his word. His word. And then, and then even at the last dying breath, when uh, the son is spared... Um, 
then there is a, a ram provided who's got his horns caught in the thicket, and that ram is sacrificed in place of Isaac. A sacrifice still goes ahead, uh, which shows, you know, it demonstrates, for example, just um, the justice of God too, in that there needs to be a penalty paid for our sin. God doesn't just sweep it under the carpet like he could have done with that Abraham and Isaac scenario. A sacrifice is still offered on our behalf, you know, on, on Isaac's behalf in that story. And Jesus, of course, is the son who goes to the cross on our behalf. And so, yeah, I, 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 the story is confronting and it is graphic, uh, but there is just so much truth of the gospel in that story. It's just got these cross-shaped imprints all through it, which is exactly how we're supposed to read uh, those Old Testament stories. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a straw man argument that gets chucked up every now and again to say, oh, well, chuck the whole thing up because, you know, Abraham was a, a crazy centenarian. Um, but um, the uh, reality is that that story has far deeper uh, meaning to it. Um, yeah, I don't know how much it has to do with our prayer life. but <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think it, it's, or I guess, from the point of view that Abraham was a, a faithful, prayerful yes. man. And listening and, to God. And listening yes. to God, and that's... That's one of the things that was was asked of him, and and I'm sure, you know, people who who do pray regularly, when they don't know what to do, they'll be given uh, guidance by God, and maybe not sure whether to follow it. And it's a good example there of well, mm. there are bigger things than yourself at play. That's right. It's about gaining that that eternal perspective uh, through prayer, and I think it's important too that um, while in that story, there's not a lot of agonising in prayer that's kind of documented. Uh, but Abraham going, Are you sure you want to do this? I'll pray about this for a while. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes there is that kind of resolute feeling of, yes, this is, this is God's calling, and sometimes it's very obvious, um, but other times it's not. And and we're also encouraged you know, to bring everything before God, every uh, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So we, we bring our requests about our doubts and our anxieties to God, at the same time being thankful that we can that God wants to hear our prayers and, and, our, and our doubts and our insecurities about what uh, we feel he's calling us to do or what we feel his will is. Uh, he actually thinks that's wonderful when we bring those things to him in prayer rather than try and solve them all ourselves. And carry the burden ourselves. Yeah. 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 All right, well, I think that's been another productive and enlightening chat, Gareth. I'm certainly more informed than I was half an hour ago. Thank you, Dave. Um, yeah, me too. We'll have our last episode of the, the season coming... We've got a bit of a reveal, Gareth, I suppose, in our last episode. It kind of brings the, the first season full circle. It does. Um, it so, does. So stay tuned. All right. Thank you. See ya. I'm in my high